Hello, and welcome to Weekly Dev Tips. I'm Steve Smith, a.k.a. Ardalis. This is episode 15, where we'll talk about maintaining legacy applications. Don't forget you can follow Weekly Dev Tips on Twitter, as well as in your favorite podcast app. And if you're finding these tips to be helpful, please take a moment to leave a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you found this podcast. I really appreciate it. This episode is sponsored by DevIQ. DevIQ offers online training for software developers and designers covering topics like UX, .NET development, and my own course on ASP.NET Core. Check them out at deviq.com. In this episode, we're going to talk about how to best work with legacy code. Legacy code can be difficult to work with. Michael Feathers defines legacy code in his book, Working Effectively with Legacy Code, as code without tests. And frequently it's true that legacy code bases are difficult to test. They're often tightly coupled, overly complex, and weren't written with modern understanding of good design principles in mind. Whether you're working with a legacy code base that you inherited, or one you wrote yourself over some period of time, you probably have experienced the pain that can be involved with trying to change a large, complex system that suffers from a fair bit of technical debt and lacks the safety net of tests. There are several common approaches to working with such code bases. One simple approach that can be appropriate in many scenarios is to just do as little as possible to the code. The business is already running on it, but none of the original authors are still with the company, nobody understands it, so it's best to just keep your distance and hope it doesn't break on your watch. Maybe in the meantime, someone is working on a replacement, but you have no idea if or when that might ever ship. And anyway, you have other things you need to work on that are less likely to keep you at work late or bring you in on the weekends. I don't have any solid numbers on how much software falls into this category, but I suspect it's a lot. And really, if you do have an application that is working and the business is depending on and you can avoid breaking it, that's generally a good plan. However, it's not always one that you can manage. So let's move on to the second approach. The second approach is also quite common and usually takes place when the first one isn't an option because business requirements won't wait for a rewrite of the current system. In this case, developers must spend time working with the legacy system in order to add or change functionality. Because it's big, complex, and probably untestable, changes and deployments are stressful and error-prone, and a lot of manual testing effort is generally required. Regression bugs are common, as tight coupling within the system means changes in one area affect other areas in often inexplicable and unpredictable ways. This is where I think the largest amount of maintenance software development takes place, since, let's face it, most software running today was written without tests, but still needs to be updated to meet changing business needs. A third approach some forward-thinking companies take, understanding the risks and costs involved in full application rewrites, is to invest in refactoring the legacy system to improve its quality. This can take the place of dedicated effort focused on refactoring, as opposed to adding features or fixing bugs. Or it can be a commitment to follow the Boy Scout rule, such that every new change to the system also improves the system's quality by improving its design, and ideally by adding more tests. Some initial steps teams often take when adopting this approach are to ensure source control is being used effectively and to set up a continuous integration server if none is already in place. An initial assessment using static analysis tools can establish the baseline quality metrics for the application, and the build server can track these heuristics to help the team measure progress over time. This approach works well for systems that are mission critical and aren't yet so far gone into technical debt that it's better to just declare technical bankruptcy and rewrite them. I've had success working with several companies using this approach. Let me know if you have any questions about how to do it with your application. Now, let's stop for a moment and think about why working with legacy code is so expensive and stressful. 
Yes, there's the lack of tests, which limit our confidence that changes to the code won't break things unintentionally, but that's based on a root assumption. The assumption is that we're changing existing code, and therefore, other code that depends on it might break unexpectedly. This is especially true in tightly coupled systems. But what if we break down that assumption, and instead we minimize the amount of existing code we touch in favor of writing new code? Yes, there's still some risk that our changes to allow incorporating our new code might cause problems, but outside of that, we're able to operate in the liberating zone of greenfield development, at least on a small scale for this one change. Now, when I say write new code, I don't mean go into a method, add a new if statement or else clause, and start writing new statements inside that method. That's pretty much what I consider to be the traditional approach that tends to increase complexity and add technical debt. What I'm proposing instead is that you write new classes. You put new functionality into types and methods that did not exist before. Since you're writing brand new classes, you know that no other code in a system currently has any dependencies on the code you're writing. You're also free to unit test your new classes and methods, since you're able to write them in a way that ensures they're loosely coupled and follow solid principles. So what might this look like in practice? Frequently, the first step will be some kind of refactoring in order to accommodate the use of a new class. Let's say you've identified a big, complex method that currently does the work that you need to change, and in a certain case, you need to do something different. Your de facto approach would be to dive into the nested conditional statements, find the right place to add an else clause, and add the new behavior there. The alternative approach would be to put the new behavior into a new method, ideally in a new type so that it's completely separate from any existing structures. A very basic first step could be to do exactly what you are going to do, that is, go find the spot inside the conditionals to add your else statement, but instead of putting the actual code into that else clause, instantiate your new type and call your new method there instead, passing in any parameters it might require. This works well if what you're adding is fairly complex, since now you have a much easier way to test that complex code rather than going through an already big and complex method to get to it. What's more, that big and complex method might live in a class that's very difficult to instantiate and test, whereas your new class should be trivial to instantiate and call the method where this new code lives. Now, depending on the conditions that dictate when your new behavior should run, you might be able to get out of using the existing big complex method at all. Let's say the existing method is called big method. Move big method into a new class called original, and wherever you had code calling big method, change it to call new original open close paren dot big method. This is one of those cases where you're forced to change the existing code in order to prepare it for your new code, so you'll want to be very careful and do a lot of testing at this point. If there are a lot of global or static dependencies running throughout big method, then this approach might not work well, so keep that in mind. However, assuming that you're able to pull big method into its own class that you then call as needed by instantiating that class, the next step is to create another separate new class for your new implementation. We'll call the new class better design, and we'll keep the method named big method for now so that if we want, we can use polymorphism via inheritance or an interface later on. Now copy big method from the original class that you just made into your new better design class and then modify it so that it only does what your new requirements need. This should mean reducing a ton of the complexity out of that method since it's only going to do one new thing. You might be able to just literally have it do the steps that it needs to do in that certain case. It should therefore be much smaller and simpler than the big method that you just put inside of the new original class. At this point, find all the places where you're instantiating original and put in a conditional statement 
so that you'll be able to instantiate better design instead. Set up this conditional so that you call it under the appropriate circumstances where you need this new behavior. At this point, you should be able to add the behavior you need in this new and testable class without breaking anything that you previously depended on. If you have more than a few places where you need to decide whether to create the original class or your new better design class that just has one simple method, look at using the factory design pattern. By adjusting the way we maintain legacy systems to maximize how much new behavior we add through new classes and methods, we can minimize the likelihood of introducing regressions. This improves the code quality over time, increases team productivity, and makes the code more enjoyable to work with. If you have experience working with legacy code, please share it in this show's comments at www.weeklydevtips.com slash 015. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you next time on weeklydevtips.com.